0: James. Duncan, how are you? I'm well, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. I, um, I've i been home for the last couple of weeks uh, looking after the kids, so it's, uh, it's definitely been a wild ride, but I'm very excited about this week's episode. What are we talking about? All right, so today's episode is work and the loneliness epidemic. So, key topic <laughs> being around loneliness.
1: Say that again. Epidemic. It? Epidemic. Not oh. epidemic, it's like an EpiPen. <laughs> like you say yourself, it's epidemic. Can't believe you mentioned it. Oh man! There's so, this other one, like, I don't think people know if know the James, is slightly deaf. Um, I don't mean... So this is one of the reasons why he doesn't pronounce words well. And so if and you are out I with a James, yeah, you definitely have a list. <laughs> I can't hear it. So what would I... Do? Yeah, but the, the reason is because he, he doesn't hear so good. Um, and so if you're out and he's not looking at you, you can sort of say something and he won't hear you, and others will hear. So you can say some let's say, not very, um, uh, you know, congratulatory stuff. And people find it funny and James is completely oblivious. So one of the reasons James' pronunciation is not so good is because he can't hear what you're saying. He yep. just reads it and then basically, I don't know, phonetically says it or something. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so if you struggle with what I say, just go back and listen to all of our previous episodes and you will acclimatise to my uh, personal brand of accentuation over time. So, <laughs> um, All right, cool, let's get on with this thing Let's get on with it So um, so today's topic is uh, loneliness um, And it was based on an article where it talks about That we live today in the most technologically connected age In the history of civilization Yet rates of loneliness have doubled at least since the 1980s Today over 40% of adults in America are feeling uh, report feeling lonely And research suggests that the real number may actually be much higher So this seems to be, um, you know, quite a a serious uh, situation we have happening here. But before we go into uh, the the deep end, I just wanted to also share um, a definition of what we actually consider loneliness to be. um, One that I like from neuroscientist John. (laughs) Cacchioppo, I reckon reckon
1: he's Italian, dude. Yeah, uh, so so the C is a chip. so it's like Choppioppo or something. Not. (laughs) Oh
0: god, (laughs) Um, Well, it's a -A C-A-C-I-O-double-P-O. So if if anyone knows how to pronounce that properly, do be sure to let me know. Uh, But he defines the phenomenon of loneliness as perceived social isolation. Uh, So that basically means we experience loneliness when we feel disconnected. So, you know, we may have been pushed outside of a group that we value, lack sense of true belonging. Um, But at his heart, he believes that the absence of meaningful social interactions or an intimate relationships, friendships, family gatherings, or even community or work group connections. So um, I really like that. I thought that was an interesting way for us to touch on that. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on that,
1: yeah, I thought I'd ask you this. What's the difference between loneliness and poor company?
0: I don't know what is the difference.
1: I don't think there is any. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I would say that when you're not having good interactions with others, that's what loneliness is, right? But mm. a lot of people will say that's because you're not interacting with anybody else. But you can also be by yourself and interacting with mm. yourself. So there's an old quote. If you're, in poor co- if you're lonely when you're by yourself, then you're in poor company. <laughs> And so I think you can have a good relationship with yourself and you can also be with other people but have a poor relationship with them and get a bad outcome. So to me, it's just poor interrelationships with others and those others include yourself.
0: Yeah, I really I really like that point that you make, Duncan, about how uh, it's not just social interactions or in this case, social isolation. It's also about yourself as well. Uh, and um, it, it as... Uh, I guess the saying goes: there's a difference between being lonely and alone. Uh, because if you uh, if you are alone but you're not lonely, then you actually then that would suggest you have a much healthier relationship with you know who you are as an individual. So I think that's actually a very good point that you bring to this discussion. That it's not just about how you uh, feel connected to others, but how you feel connected to yourself as well.
1: Completely. Um, so. I mean, this is sort of where we're going to get to this. We're going to go through a bit of the the history. Um, But if your mind is happy, then your body will be healthy. There's lots of stats on this. Happy people live longer. They get less sick. All the other stuff. So adding life, years to your life and life to your years. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not happy, you will be, you know, sick. (laughs) And one way for unhappiness is loneliness. But that can come because you don't have interactions with others or because you have poor interactions with others or because you have poor interactions with yourself. So it sort of comes from anywhere. Um, so,
0: yeah. yeah. So, um, but it's it, it definitely a very, very uh, significant uh, uh, impact on your health. They did a, um, a meta-analysis on the studies of loneliness and they found that... Uh, when you look at certain environmental factors, things like living with air pollution increases the odds of dying early by 5%. Obesity, 20%. Excessive drinking, 30%. Living with loneliness increases your odds of dying early by 45%. So this isn't some you know, touchy feeling like, oh, I don't have any friends. Is it actually going to kill you if you don't have <laughs> some kind of, um, you know, Valuable and engaging and and enriching, um, you know, connection with both yourself and um, people around you. Uh, so it's this, this a serious issue, and uh, I guess it's why they're calling it an epidemic. Pronounce <laughs> it, <laughs> it I, well. Does, does I get it. Does I get it. Yep. You got it. You got it. <laughs> got it. Okay. Now. So
1: maybe we thought we'd go through a little bit of the history of this. Um, so humans are basically acclimated to their surrounds. And we became the dominant species, if you want to call that, on Earth because we got the best at doing it. (laughs) Um, And so different people have different times of when they think humanity came. Some say 100,000 years ago, some say 300,000 years ago. Mm. But initially, there were many types of sapiens, not just homo sapiens. And there were also Neanderthals, which are kind of like another branch. But humans got rid of all of them. (laughs) Um, And one of the key reasons that we did Versus, say, Neanderthals, we weren't necessarily stronger. Actually, they were stronger or more skilled with a spear. Um, We were able to bandy together in groups of more than 150. Whereas Neanderthals supposedly were only able to bandy together in groups of 150. Now, I have no idea how someone figured this out, but basically, we overcame Neanderthals because we worked together in groups of, say, like a thousand. And no group of, like, 1500 Neanderthals was able to overcome. A thousand humans, even though they might have been as an individual one on one, Neanderthal versus human, mm. um, you know, winning a hand to hand combat. And so part of this happened because humans then lent into collaboration and working well with each other. And so we became biologically wired. The humans that survived were the ones that collaborated best together, i.e., had good, meaningful interactions with each other. And so it's biologically wired into you that you will be happy if you have high quality relationships. And that's because that's how we survived.
0: Mm. Yeah, so uh, I, I think to your point, Duncan, a lot of people forget that humans are actually 200,000 years old. You know, we, we think that um, society um, and as a byproduct uh this human race started when civilization started, say, 5,000 years ago. But um, they actually showed, and Tim Urban talked about this in one of his Way But Why articles, that uh, even if you go back nearly 200,000 years ago, uh, our brains were very much the same as they are today, um, like some, some very, very minor differences. But the, 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 the thesis is that you could bring a human from roughly 200,000 years ago to today, bring them up in today's society, and they would be able to function like a normal human being. So what this means is that our brains are tr- basically working as they were back then. And it's only a very recent phenomenon in the last 200 years since the Industrial Revolution that we have fundamentally changed the way in which we socially interact. Uh, and it's act- so this is a big conflict between the way our brains are programmed to work with uh, in a communal way versus the way that we, I guess, typically value um, you know individuals in today's society. So it's a, it's a very, very strong contrast between how brains work and how we, um, I guess, think that we should operate in the modern world.
1: Yeah, so basically for the vast majority of humanity, we were in either hunter-gatherer tribes and you were with a tribe, you know, multiple people, or after the agrarian revolution, um, agriculture, you then lived in villages. So hunter-gatherers like roamed about the place and looked for food and then once the agrarian revolution, you know, you could have food come to you. But the average human after the agrarian revolution didn't move more than 15 miles from their town ever. Because that's how far you can kind of walk in one day and get back. And so we lived together in communities. You were in your tribe, you know, your hunter-gatherer tribe with your family. Or you were in your little town and your family were like three huts over or whatever else it was. And so you had a much more sense of community. Whereas now with the industrial revolution having occurred, you move to your job and you live in a city, you know, maybe by yourself. So There's a lot more people living by yourself. So you look at the number of people per house that's going down. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One, the number of children people have goes down. Two, the time till they have children goes down. And three, divorce rates are going up. So basically, humans naturally spent significantly more time with people they were close to, i.e. their family, their tribe, than they do now. A lot of people go to work and these aren't necessarily people they want to see outside of work or even inside of work (laughs) and so you might be around people but you don't have quality relationships Hmm. so long story short there used to be natural quality relationships and only about 200 years ago did that start to stop and it's getting worse and worse and worse as families get smaller and divorce rates go up etc and so therefore the natural good relationships you have is kind of lower
0: yeah uh and so in, in in power or in tandem with this uh recent um i guess industrial age uh, a lot of this stemmed from uh, what from what I've seen, well, from what I've read is uh, there's also the the notion of the individualistic ideology, um, and so it's quite more prevalent in Western society than it is in more Eastern cultures. Um, but it it is this individualistic mindset that was, um, I guess, as a result of the Protestant work ethic back in the early, um, I guess, seventeen hundreds. Um, as well as being emphasized from the American Transcendentalists. So Transcendentalism is um, was a literary or political movement in the early 19th century, um, where they started to popularize the notion that the um, job of individuals was to find their own voice or path or calling um, about being yourself and about um, being your best self. So in addition to us suddenly becoming a lot more mobile um, through the advancements of technology. We also changed the way uh, um, in Western society, um, the way in which we value um, ourselves. So moving from being able to work collectively with a group of people to having to go out and prove one's own individual worth as well. So I, so I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a, almost a double whammy in, in that sense.
1: I'm not so sure I agree with that. Um So I think the definition of like opposite of loneliness to me is good quality interactions. And let's just for argument's sake that those are with other people, not with yourself Mm -hmm. for now. You might have good quality interactions because you've had a long history with your family and you can talk, you know, and, you know, they're there always. I think the more time you spend with someone, the easier sort of talk is. But also, I think one of the best ways is, you know, interested people are interesting. And interested people are interested in anything. And so I think this individualistic side of things, you know, it used to be that ninety percent of humans were farmers two hundred years ago. That's you know, then the only people that weren't were like the lords, you know, everyone else was a serf on their land. And so it's pretty hard to be individual when you've all got the same job. And also, you die very young. (laughs) And so you need to procreate pretty early and pretty, you know, a lot to make sure the human race doesn't die out. So the ability for individualism was constrained by the environment. Mm. And I think the opening up of, like, you know, increased productivity through um, industrialization enabled people to be able to do different things. No longer 90% of humans doing one job. And so I don't think this necessarily means that this has led to loneliness. I think the conditions have changed. We used to naturally live with more people. But now we don't. And I think what people are going to sort of hopefully learn is how to have better interactions. And I think that's actually more possible because more people are individualistic. And if you're more individual, if someone's different to me, I've got a lot more to talk to them about than if they're the same as me.
0: Mm. I, I guess another way, you could, or another lens you can put on this is if we revert back to one of our favourite models, the Maslow hierarchy of needs. And prior to the... Um, you know, the the, the agricultural age, having social connection was a fundamental physiological need. Like, that's, as you explained, Duncan, about Homo sapiens versus Neanderthals. We survived because we had greater social cohesion. Uh, And that was part of our needs, um, you know, for physiological um, survival. Uh, The next level up is safety. And I think, you know, by... Operating in tribe, we were able to fend off competing tribe. By operating in groups and villages, we were able to, um, I guess, thrive as a uh, result of that. But now that we're in an age where having strong social bonds is no longer physiological or required for your safety, it's become the next level up, which is um, your psychological needs. And, you know, when you think about that, we've only been in this age for two to 500 years. We haven't really figured out how to do this well, because having social cohesion, our brain thinks, is a psychological, physiological need. But because we don't actually need to do it to survive, we don't know how to engage in it properly.
1: I'm not so sure I look at it that way. Like, I think collaborating well was a, was a byproduct of us surviving, and our genes then went to represent that. Mm. So whether we needed it or not, our genes say that you do. <laughs> And so now, just because you don't need it, you you, you don't fight your biology. You can't mind over matter this. (laughs) So, for instance, um, if you cuddle, you know, endorphins go off and other things um, with other people. Um, So you can kind of like biohack, you you know, your way into sort of having, you know, a good chemical reaction occur in your brain. Um, What I think the key thing here is, and I'm going to sort of like zoom out. Happy people live longer they are more productive, they're more creative, they get sick less. Loneliness is just one cause of being unhappy. But you don't have to cure this unhappiness with interactions with other people. You can, right? Good quality interactions can be one cure. But you, for instance, could have good interactions with yourself, i.e. you learn how to spend time by yourself really well. You could devote it to writing a book, and that really helps you be happy. So basically, loneliness is just, you know, a driver of unhappiness. And unhappiness is the driver of poor, you know, biological outcomes. Mm. So you need to be happy. And one way is to have good quality, close relationships. But you could doesn't mean that that's the only way to be happy. Well, um,
0: no, no one's saying that um, in order to be happy, you need to not be lonely. But I guess, as we've already pointed out, it's wired in our biology, like our brains are telling us we need to have, um, I guess, this sense of belongingness, whether it's with ourselves or with a wider group of people, like that's how um, the homo sapiens, I guess, identified as themselves. So while, yes, it may be true that any one person may be able to figure out how to be happy um, by themselves or without needing to, I guess, have good company. I think there is, you know, as it can be shown in the data, a wider societal issue that's going on here, that we do have this, uh, I guess, epidemic where people are feeling more lonely, not just because we're mobile and because technology allows us to live away from our tribe and, you know, we're not, I guess, tuning into that more basic instinct, but also because it's no longer necessary for our survival. Like... Um, you know, human beings are very good at doing what's necessary to survive. But once we get to that point, we're not very good at doing what's necessary to thrive. And that's why I'm seeing um, this loneliness epidemic, um, you know, increasing over time.
1: I really like that. It's necessary to survive and necessary to thrive. Um, What I would say is that I think we had acclimated to our previous circumstances Mm. and the world didn't change very much for, you know, the entire existence of humanity, um, and so, what was thriving was surviving because our biology mm. mirrored what mm. was required there. But then, all of a sudden, the industrial revolution happens, and you can live away, you can live by yourself. You know, you don't you don't need to rely on other people to get food. You can go to the supermarket. And so now, to thrive, uh, let's say, I don't know, from a financial perspective. May not necessarily to survive from a financial perspective may not be what is actually needed to thrive from an emotional perspective, mm. and the natural ways that were built in, e.g., interactions or you know um, interacting or relationships with others, aren't necessary. So I think you can learn how to do this. It's just that it was implicit in the environment, but now you need to figure out how to construct that because yeah. the environment has changed.
0: Yeah, if you if you if you don't have societal cohesion. 200,000 years ago you'd die <laughs> and so you would be removed from the food ch- or from the um, uh, what, it's called from the, uh, the evolutionary chain if you don't have societal cohesion today you don't die you keep living so that's not enough of a deterrent for us to intuitively know how to fix this problem um, but I get that also because change is happening so much there's no way for the brain to actually catch up with how to adapt to this new environment. You know, you've, you had the farming, the, the agricultural age, the industrial uh, revolution, and now you have the new information age, all happening at, um, you know, factors of 10 years um, or 10 times quicker than the previous one. Like the information age, um, I guess you could say, started with the internet. It's really just 20 years old. But with all of the technology that comes with it, that allows us to, you know, keep in touch with our family via mobile phones, have things like social media, Um, there's no way the brain knows how to tell us what is actually best for us in terms of this aspect of good company and how we can keep it.
1: All right, so I think we can sort of say that being happy is better than being sad. I think (laughs) Um, we can agree on that. Yeah. Well,
0: insight. Me
1: (laughs) Um, and. Yeah, that's it. The end. <laughs> now, now, one, one way to one way to be happy is to have good relationships, right? But one way to be sad is to have shit relationships. I think we can all probably have, hopefully, had a good relationship in our lives, and unfortunately, we've probably all had a not so great one. And so, maybe I thought we'd talk a little bit about our views on what a good relationship is. James, do you want to start, or you want me to like have start? Going oh, down this
0: so uh, my personal view on what makes a good relationship so um, I guess to me a good relationship is some is one that allows you to be your authentic self someone that you can truly be free to express your innermost uh, I guess thoughts and feelings and be able to reciprocate that with the other person so that to me um, I guess is probably a much more theoretical or high level, Uh, definition of a good relationship.
1: But Duncan, you might be able to help with a more practical one. I I, Wait for this. I don't think there is a definition that you could put in two sentences. (laughs) (laughs) So Uh, you just set me up for failure. Thank you. No, no, no. But I I think that, honestly, like, I believe I have a good relationship with James. But honestly, I have good relationships with other people, and they're completely different. Mm. So... You know, I don't think there's one answer, um, but hopefully there are, you know, many different ways. And I think that you said something interesting then, which is one that allows you to be completely authentically yourself. Mm. And I wanted to ask do you feel you've been in relationships in the past or you've had relationships, like whether it's with friends or family or romantic or co workers,
0: where you haven't been able to be yourself? Mm. Um, I I think that's a definite yes. Um, Just trying to think about where they come up in my life. Um, for instance, but um, there's also names of names specifically. <laughs> just, no. Name and shame, name and, shame. <laughs> and uh, Well, this dickhead here, <laughs> this, this guy had to work. Um, but there's also another element, which is you have more than one, I guess, facet of your authentic self. Like the nature of the relationship I have with you, Duncan, is very different to the one that I have with, say, my partner. Uh, and it's very different with the one that I have with my parents. But I would say that I would still argue that it's my authentic self having these relationships, um, you know, provided they're good ones. Um, so you don't just have one, I guess, setting. Uh, and it was very interesting. Um, so my partner did, made the observation early in our relationship that when I was going from, um, you know, catch up to catch up with different friends, she thought I was a very different person in those different, um, I guess, scenarios. Um, and she asked me, like, you know, why are you being someone different? Why are you being someone you're not when you're catching up with these different people? Um, and so I thought about that for a second. And I said, well, I'm not being someone else. I'm being a different part of myself. I have different friends for different um, relationships. And I guess, you know, um, I think Duncan, you touched on this before. You have some friends that you just want to have high level fun with. And you have other friends that you want to have much more deeper meaningful relationship with but there are also friends that you have similar interests in um, that different from other friends so i think there's one so i'm just trying to say is that there's more way more than one way to skin a cat there's more than one way to have an authentic relationship as well yeah um
1: i completely agree um, i think you kind of want to figure out what relationship nourishment you want and then you kind of want to figure out how to get it and i believe that it's a safer and wiser choice to try to get that from a group of different people as opposed to all from one person. (laughs) Um, Now, I'm not saying that you can't have like a a major person, but I think people think that, uh, you know, if I find the right one, they'll complete me and I'll be happy in there, my intellectual companion, best friend, ultimate lover, person that makes me laugh, and on and on and on. And I sort of think of that, you know, different people, you know, as James said, you know, bring out different sides of you. Mm -hmm. So I think, as an example, um, and we can use Maslow's again because it's such a good r- framework. And I don't think we have an
0: episode where we have an episode. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, you want belonging and love needs. So you've got friendship, someone who cares about you, basically, and that you care about them. And, you know, you can ring them and ask and, you know, have a cry on their shoulder and they'll listen and you know, they won't be like, oh, i I'm busy. Um, then you want esteem needs so that you're accomplishing something. Um, Now, these aren't necessarily external. Um, I would hope that they're mainly internal. So that you can do something to help somebody, but you don't need them to say, good job, Duncan. You can feel good about yourself internally. And that can be from work. I think that's probably the way. That might be from raising children. Self-actualization. I think this is making yourself a better version of you or the love of learning. Mm. Um, Again, this can be something you do by yourself. You're just writing. Um, Or it could be something where you work with somebody else. Like if you're talking like, I don't know, let's say you're a sports person. And you're trying to get better, you've got a coach and they work with you on this as an example. And then transcendence is helping others. And then there's sort of one also which is separate, not in Maslow's, is that you can enjoy and have fun. And so I have friends that are just have a laugh buddies. And I love catching up with them once a month and we have a few drinks on a Friday and I have a good laugh, right? However, if I saw them all day, every day, it would be a really crap relationship. <laughs> so they and I I think have a good relationship. They're people I treasure. But they're not people I want to see more than once or twice a month. And then I think from those other needs I sort of talked about, I think you want to find places for that and, and get balance. And this is something I think is a little controversial. Now, I don't think it is. I believe that you spend the majority of your working hours, waking hours working and that most people work with other people. Some people are authors, some people, I don't know, are academics. But most people are going to work with others. And I think that if you look at the stats, having good relationships at work makes work much better. So, again, good relationships are better than bad ones or indifferent ones. Is that and your contentious? I,
0: think, um, I know,
1: I know. It's amazing. relationships. I, I, I love reading this. It's like a job. And people think, oh, what a high-paying job. But then it's like, you know, yeah, but if you're working with a bunch of dickheads, um, then mm. it doesn't matter how much it pays. <laughs> or maybe it does for some people. So, basically, I believe that you can and should have all levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs at work. And that if you have this, it can make work incredibly meaningful and incredibly enjoyable.
0: Mm, yeah, so I think it's a very interesting, um, I guess, uh, opposite, like, uh, insight that you have, Duncan, that not, well, at least I didn't really give it that much thought, um, you know, earlier on in my career, in that being, you know, work is more than just your job. It is, you know, like you said, where you spend most of your waking hours as an adult, uh, it is where you spend um, a lot of time with certain individuals, whether it's within your team or the um, you know the larger organisation. Um, like you could probably say that you spend just as much time with these people as you do with um, your partner or your family or um, people that you live with. So these are very very important relationships, um, and if we only view them as a means to our um, I guess ability to you know uh, get by in our job or our career. Um, then it's not going to feed into it's not going to feed our you know our desire to have belonging, uh, and it's not going to add to anything that you know we get out of this problem or this uh, epidemic of loneliness as well. Um, and I know Duncan, you don't necessarily agree with it, but to me this is kind of where this uh, individualistic uh, notion kind of also comes into play because in work. Uh, in a lot of uh, workplaces, you have the idea of competition, like you're in com- competition with your peers for things like uh, recognition or um, career progression, um, and it, that that can actually, you know, kind of almost hinder someone's ability to create lasting or meaningful relationships.
1: Yeah, I mean, toxic work cultures. Mm, <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, like, I, I wasn't trying to say that work is going to be great for everybody. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, work mm. isn't great for everybody. Yeah. Um, and setting people up to fight against each other, I mean, you know, toxic work environment. And, I, you know, I used to work in finance and I felt that sometimes that it they could be <laughs> a little bit like that. Um, is isn't great. But what I'm sort of saying is like, you know, you spend more time with these people at work than you do with anybody else. Now, you can sit next to someone, you know, and not speak to them and not engage Um, or you can actually have a good relationship. And again, this, you know, I remember very early on, this is something that I I remember I was employed to be there and I wanted to do a good job. And I thought that having a chat with somebody at work about their personal life or non-work stuff Mm. was actually me slacking off on work time and that that I didn't want to do that because I was like, no, I'm employed to do something. And so I tried to actively avoid, if you want to call it small talk, but I don't think it's that. I think it's love and belonging needs. And taking interest in someone because I thought I was doing the company a disservice, and I've done a 180 degree turn on that. Now I'm like, you need to be, hopefully, liking the people you work with, and part of that is knowing who they are and having love and belonging needs. Um, so,
0: yeah, I thought I'd pause there. Yeah, so it's it's a double it's a I guess it's a double whammy in a sense that you know having much more actively engaged employees is better for um, productivity, value generation, and output, but having people who um, you know feel like they belong to a team, who uh, have the trust, or you know, <laughs> the the five dysfunctions of a team, um, yeah, uh, also leads to greater sense of purpose, leads to greater sense of um, belonging, greater um, happiness, and all of these other you know I guess um, you know, variables that makes us feel like. Um, that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And, you know, work is a big part of that, but it's just one part of that. There's also your your community. Um, there's your, like you said earlier, Duncan, your group of friends or the people that you choose to socialise with outside of work. Um, but there's also um, your family. And this was something that I also found to be quite, um, I guess, uh, confronting is... <laughs> Uh, well, for young families, particularly uh, young mothers, um, in in, um, in one piece of research, young mothers are the loneliest people. They are the loneliest people because mm. they spend the most time, whether it's at home with their children or just raising, you know, babies, <laughs> um, and they're doing it on their own. Uh, and it's, it's quite harrowing to think that um, uh, the the most important, um, I guess, well in my humble opinion, <laughs> the most important role a person can have is raising a child, and yet we have left parents or some parents um, to be the loneliest people in doing that job. Um, so I think maybe we've actually you know, missed something here or um, haven't been able to properly address it.
1: Yeah, maybe we'll talk about this. Like, again, humans didn't used to live in nuclear families. Yeah. This is a construction that only occurred after the Industrial Revolution. You used to live in a tribe, like a hunter-gatherer tribe, or you lived in the village and you were all farmers and you got married to probably your second cousin (laughs) (laughs) out of the 2,000 people in the village. Um, And what this meant is they say that it takes a a village to raise a child, but it actually was a village raising a child. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, you know, one or two people you know, by themselves. And it is an incredible amount of work, a full-time job all day, all night, <laughs> you know, no holidays. Pretty to do this. Too. <laughs> um and so the difference, the circumstances that raising children are now is fundamentally different to what it was until the Industrial Revolution. Mm. And their onus on one or two people, you know, and I say one or two because you know often there'll be one person at home and the other person's at work, is huge. And therefore, you know they are lonely because I'm not. You know, when when a human baby is born, it can't see, let alone talk. It can't do anything. It's pretty useless. Like if you don't look after <laughs> it all the time, it's going to have a bad day. Um, and so, yeah, of course, they're the loneliest because they don't have. They used to be. I don't know interacting with other humans at work and other things, and now. I'm not saying that an infant isn't in a human, but it's not a human as in the way that one that can talk and you know you know, do a whole lot of other things. You know, it's kind of something you're taking care of the entire time that happens to one day going to be able to be something that can talk. Um, so yeah, loneliness makes perfect sense. Like when you think about it, what is loneliness? It's a lack of good quality human interaction. Mm. Now, I'm not claiming a baby isn't a human, but it's not a human as in the same way you know another you know I don't know if you're thirty four like another thirty year old would be.
0: Yeah, So I think we talked about a lot of really interesting different areas around uh, where loneliness, uh, I guess, is, you know, popping up. But what we haven't, uh, what what I'd like to talk about next is, um, you know, what is actually feeding this loneliness? What's actually um, creating the environment that allows this to kind of spread? And so, um, you know, we, we kind of, uh, I guess, uh, didn't really agree on the, the individual um, notion, but we didn't touch on what's happening with technology and particularly around social media. And the first thing I wanted to, I guess, bring out here is that a lot of people are in two camps about things like social media. They either believe that it is feeding directly into the loneliness epidemic. And then there are people who think that it's actually helping people make friends and feel more connected. Um, So um, I, I don't think there is a comprehensive answer here, but I just wanted Duncan to get your thoughts on what you think is happening in this space.
1: I think you present a false dichotomy. Um, it's just like, again, is are all human interactions good? Mm-hmm. No. So I, I, again, the question at the beginning, what's the difference between loneliness and poor company? Nothing. You're unhappy. That's the outcome of both of them, right? No. <laughs> so Good social media good, bad social media bad. Now, for better or worse, humans often revert to like, you know, the seven deadly sins, envy, etc. And social media amongst young people has been shown to increase unhappiness of so things like anxiety, depression, etc. And so you might say does Instagram inspire you to eat healthy or does it give you an eating disorder? Does Instagram inspire you to, you know, look at a beautiful, uh, I don't know, painting or does it give you status anxiety? And for better or worse, on average, and I'm not saying they're getting good, the stats currently show that humans are using it for net negative outcomes. It's not increasing loneliness or, you know, these things. It's increasing unhappiness. And the unhappiness is coming from these poor ways of interacting with it. And so just like when, you know, cigarettes came along and 90% of humans were smoking and then we realized they're bad for us and now 10% of us do that in the West, Social media is always new things come along and humanity has no antibodies for it and it's not using it well. So I think social media will be around. I think done well, it is a great thing. But unfortunately, there are many cases of it not being done well.
0: Mm. I think that's a very interesting point that you make here about how um, social media is kind of this new phenomenon that we don't have any proper way of understanding or managing Just like we did with smoking in the 50s, uh, opium dens in China, um, you know, 100 years before that. Uh, And so it's because we don't have a full understanding of what it's actually doing, um, I guess, to us, other than knowing that it has the same effect on our brains. You know, you, you, um, you get a like on your comment, you know, oxytocin. Um, fired off in your brain if you, <laughs> <laughs> um, if you. I think, I think
1: it's dopamine, James. Oh, uh, so
0: I'll probably get confused. There's three happy ones:
1: dopamine, serotonin, and oxy. Oxytose. Oxy's the love one. So after you've had like sex, as an example, oxy goes off. But if you go to play pokies and all the lights go off, that's dopamine. That's and and, and, the, and the same thing, like a little notification goes off. Oh, somebody's liked my Instagram post. Same stuff. Mm. It's like pokies for. Humans, yeah, yeah, you know, I, outside of the thing.
0: Uh, uh, quick segue, I'm obviously not very well in tune with the three different com- uh, compounds because um, <laughs> my <laughs> wife pulled me up on calling our six-month daughter a serotonin sack uh, because, <laughs> because serotonin is, is what's released when you eat food, apparently. Uh, and it should be oxytocin instead. So, like, I'm I'm getting them yeah, wrong. But there's also. no nice
1: alliteration there. So, you said, Were you calling your daughter, your six month old daughter, Chloe, a serotonin sack because it made you happy? Yeah. Because no, she made you happy. Not it. Go me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. I, I kind of like that. Um, I, and it's funny because it's such a. You know, inhuman or you know, un- an inhumane way of describing such a beautiful human thing.
0: <laughs> well, um, I, so, I mean, we love you know, carrying our babies. We use a, um, um, uh, I can't remember what they're actually called, but it's called a tula. So, like, she's strapped to my chest, and um, yeah. you know, I feel like a, a horse with a feed bag, but instead, it's just pure <laughs> happiness that I'm feeding off. <laughs> you got the other good analogies?
1: Why are you making me like, be like a horse with a feed bag? But yeah, this like cuddly. You know, skin on skin touch, yeah. warmth makes you happy. Mm. Seriously, mm. sex feels good for a reason because then we make more humans, and then you want to do it. So that our biology is wired in oh. for this. Oh. Uh, you know, Um <laughs> so, <laughs> nice so, so when, when advertising is like playing on attractive people are supposedly more athletic, right? And more athletic people were in back in the day better at like going and like hunting down an animal or whatever it was, right? Mm. And so. Um, advertising isn't creating something that's not there. It's just playing on our inbuilt biological wiring. So just like good interactions make you happy, seeing an attractive person of the sex you're attracted to makes you happy. right? Seriously, it does. It fires off a chemical reaction in your brain. And then advertising is just taking advantage of our biological inheritance or programming and using it to, to get us sometimes to do things that aren't necessarily good for us. Mm. Like, hold the serotonin sack <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I, I gotta come up with a better like um, wordplay. For name oxy- for your Toastin. daughter than the serotonin sac? Yeah. No, you do not. No. That is the best name you could possibly have. Well, no, it's gotta have oxytocin in it because she's not serotonin, she's oxytocin. Okay, so, okay. So, okay. I, I, the best I've got is like Boxy Oxy, like a box of oxy <laughs> But it's yeah. like, it doesn't have the same ring as a ser- sack of serotonin. So, um, I, I think I'm just gonna have to stick with it just because it sounds so good. I like it. Every time I say that, dopamine goes off in my brain. <laughs> <go>. <laughs> so
1: so laughter. This is another one. Laughter is the best medicine they say. Well hang on, being unhappy makes you sick. <laughs> yeah, you know, and your body like I know that people might think this is some woo foo stuff. Go look up all the studies. I definitely like was like, ah mm. uh, come on. And mm. if you can smile. You're going, to, you know, you're going to be better. And so there's actually a lot of truth to that. And yeah. so, again, loneliness is just not smiling. It's frowning. Yeah. And it's making you not good. So we need to find ways to smile. And one way is to have good you know, relationships. So one of the things I actually thought I'd sort of talk about here, Socrates, last quote, the purpose of a friend is to make you better than you otherwise would be. And to me, this was a little antithetical um, because I kind of thought that, I don't know, you weren't meant to try to change people if that's the right word they were meant to be right or they weren't right and if they were right you you know you would be in some beautiful relationship and if they weren't then they would go and they'll find their perfect snowflake that completes them elsewhere mm. but I, I've come to believe that everyone's constantly changing growing or and even if they choose to you know the society around you is, is shifting you um, and that you can help people improve like I'll let you in a little secret Lots of areas of me, not so great. <laughs> and, and James, for instance, this podcast has helped. I was going to listen to myself. And once you get through the sound of your voice being horrific, you can then hear that you also have horrific turn of phrase. So, there's this peel through layers of horribleness. <laughs> and slowly but surely, you can try to find ways to improve. And so, self-actualization, you know, becoming a better version of you, is something that is incredibly rewarding. One of the top three things they say that causes happiness is improving. And I believe that you can help others do this. Um, And that is actually part of a rewarding relationship. Mm -hmm.
0: Happiness is progress. Mm.
1: Did you found that, James? For uh, instance, uh, you've made me a better person.
0: uh, uh, Thank you, Duncan. Actively I, and, you know, passively. <laughs> I, I, I would uh, extend the same sentiment to you as well. So um, your, your original, uh, I guess, Tower of Babel um, analogy was, I thought, striking in terms of um, whether or not it was actually the job of a friend to make you a better person. Um, for me, it was never, a, well, the way I thought it, it's not about you need someone else to make you a better person. Um, but I guess in the same way, light cannot exist in a vacuum. Um, only when you have something to bounce off can you, I guess, get perspective. And different people offer different perspectives. And that's where I see your ability as an individual or person or human um, to grow stems from. Um, I see you, Duncan, as a particular, whether it's mirror or just, um, you know, something that I can bounce off, um, as being very different to one of my partner, as being very different to one of my children. Um, but they all give me very different things. Um, if it was just me and my own thoughts, I'm pretty sure they'd be pretty warped by now. Um, so, in, t- in having these, you know, these friendship connections, these loved one connections, these family connections, I gain all of the different, I um, get, you know, perspectives that allows me to grow and progress, and ergo, um, obtain more happiness.
1: Yeah. So. I'm not saying that every friendship should be about making the other person better. Um, Mm. But it it was a kind of thing that I was like, thought was completely off, you know, out of bounds. But I now believe that this is a core thing that you want to be doing for some of your time. Again, I have, I don't know, we'll call them like fun friends uh, where you just go out and have a laugh uh, and joke. And, you know, it's a kind of almost specifically doing nothing serious. It's just, you know, having a giggle. Um, but I also have friends where there's a lot of time spent on helping each other improve. And I didn't realize that. You know, I used to think, oh, I want to get better. Um, but I was like, well, hang on. Do I want to help my friends get better? And actually, helping your friends get better is like giving them a gift. And so you want to be the best gift giver, i.e. giving friends a piece of feedback to improve. And also, you know, best gift receiver. Um, you know, if someone gives you some feedback. Sometimes it's constructive. And I think it's almost like human nature, like, I'm under attack, defend, defend, you know, as opposed to, okay, this person has said something here, there's definitely a kernel of truth in it. Maybe it's only 25%, maybe it's 90% true. Mm. But initially, you know, I think, at least I know, initially I was like, oh my God, feedback, uh-oh, explain why they're wrong. <laughs> 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 you know, not, not, not own this, not, not lean into the feedback, mm. it was like, you know. Defense, deploy defenses. (laughs) Um, So I found it to be a truly rewarding and interesting one. And as part of work, I think that, you know, this is one of the key things that I love is being able to help people and have people help me. Mm.
0: Bit of radical candor there, Duncan. I like it. Um, Mm. mm -hmm. I I think um, that is definitely one of the um, the key elements I see in having this uh, perspective is that when someone gives you feedback, you're instinctive response is to deny or to um, I guess explain away yeah explain away or, or sometimes you yourself turn fire this, yeah from this observation but if you can you know step away from that um, you know that immediate reaction and see it for what it is is someone else who's actually offering you a way to improve they're actually giving you a nugget of wisdom that was not available to you previously um, that will help you um, in one way level up. That's what I love. Uh, so for me, I've coined a phrase, level up. I never tell someone.
1: Oh, um, you've coined that, did you?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's totally uh, registered trademarked. Uh, oh, <laughs> but what I'm saying is that when I give people feedback, I don't put it in a way that is, um, you know, here's what you haven't been doing well enough, or here's what you can do to improve. Even is, um, you know, if you want to, or here's a way you can level up. Here's a way that you can get yourself to, um, you know, the next stage of operating in this particular area. And so instead of them thinking of, of, oh, I'm doing something bad, I'm trying to give them information in a way that shows them how they can improve. Um, Mm. So, yeah, we've we've managed to segue just slightly onto how to give good feedback. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think that also helps to the loneliness. So um, if you're happy to move on, Duncan... the next thing I wanted to talk about is that I think we've done a really good job in you know, setting the groundwork here. But how then can we help with, this, um, with uh, this problem of loneliness? How can we help, I guess, each other or people in general um, break the barrier of loneliness and be able to build more engaging, meaningful relationships?
1: I think we have been talking about it. So, like, you know, one of them is you have friends where you just have a giggle, but you have friends where you're going to help, help them you know, actually proven another activity... So I wrote down the nine friendship activities, um, which I wanted to have and see them. And one of them is also being a counsellor. Mm. And so a counsellor... Um, it, it means a couple of things, but you can have counselling chats. Um, so we are in Australia, as you can probably tell. And in Australia, there's it's not so commonplace to go and have a therapist, you call that. But for my friends in America, they'll, you know, be mid-conversation, they'll be like, my therapist said this. And I think that, you know... Roger Federer might be the best tennis player ever, but he's got coaches. The coach couldn't play tennis better than Roger, but he can help Roger improve. And so I think you want coaches in all areas. And so one of these things like counseling chats, and James and I having a bit of a chat before we started recording this about something going on in James's life. And I found that, you know, you don't want to have 100% of your chats be counseling ones, but talking about your feelings and talking about something that's going not so great and then Having a sounding board helps you really start to understand it. And so I found, as an example, the more emotionally, you know, emotional I'm about a topic, the less sensical I am. <laughs> we'll call that, like, you know, I, I get <laughs> confused. And talking to someone makes a monstrous difference. And so one way is, it's not just, you know, you want to have time with someone, but you've got to have time well spent. And one way to spend it well is to help each other improve. Mm. And one way is also to have counselling chats,
0: so um, it's it definitely very, very good, um, uh, I guess, helpful information, you know, these ninth ages of friendship. But I guess what I'm getting at is, uh, you know, instead of the answer simply being have better friendships, <laughs> we need it's to simple. think about before we are even at that point. So I'll, I'll, I'll share with you something that I've um, pulled up. Which is, so um, this is from Brene Brown, who is Mm -hmm. um, from the University of Houston. And she's written a book called Daring Greatly. Uh, And what she talked about in this, in terms of how to counteract this, um, you know, the feelings of loneliness, is allowing ourselves to be seen. Um, So in, you know, one of the things they've shown in reports or studies is that when people feel lonely, they withdraw and they pull themselves away and it becomes a self-perpetuating cycle. Um, And what she means by allowing ourselves to be seen is opening up and admitting that we have fears or self-doubt or, I guess, allowing ourselves to be humble. And what this does is that it it gives others permission to be themselves with you as well. Um, And through that, we can, uh, I guess, start to, you know, create good or true relationships. Duncan, did you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, the word I would use is vulnerable. Vulnerable. She's talking about being vulnerable. Mm. And I would argue that one way of being vulnerable is having a counselling chat with your friend. But you, so they they say, they say to have a friend first, you must be a friend. Mm-hmm. And so, first of all, you be vulnerable and you talk about something that's maybe not so great in your life. And then that person then might be vulnerable in return. And you then form a new layer of type of interaction that you have, which is really rewarding. I find when people are vulnerable with me that I see it as a great honour that they are comfortable to open up to me and I find it very rewarding. And so this is one of the things that Duncan of five years ago or longer would have thought of like, I don't want to burden someone with this. But I actually kind of view it as the opposite now. Mm. Um, When people have quote unquote burdened me, I don't find it a burden. I find it the exact opposite. It's a gift. It's like, oh my God, this person is doing this, I get an opportunity to try and help them. And if you look at the happiness research, they say that buying a gift for somebody else gives you twice as much happiness as buying a gift for yourself. And so, in effect, by this person being vulnerable, I get to hopefully help them and give them a gift. And this isn't burdensome, it's the exact opposite. Mm. So another one, like it used to be like, oh, helping people improve was like a thing you didn't do, you know, in relation, that's what I thought. And then burdening someone with your problems was a thing you didn't do. But actually... I think you should do both of those things now. Not 100% of the time, yeah. but you know, not 0% of the time. If you don't have someone that you can be vulnerable with and you don't have someone that you're helping to improve and you don't have someone helping to improve you, then I think you're probably lacking a, a layer of nat- relationship nutrition i.e. the counselling activity, um, which might make your life better. So it's not just having relationships at all. You have good quality ones.
0: Yeah. I I love how Duncan refers to himself in the third person when talking about (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) More more Duncan talking about Duncan, please. (laughs) Um, So um, uh, vulnerability, definitely the key word I was looking for here. Thank you, Duncan. And so just... Thinking about that and how you can use this as a tool, not just to um, you know, improve existing relationships, but reach out and create new ones. Um, like, so you think about what we've already gone through um, you know, just, just today. You know, in parenthood, I, I don't think, in my experience, anyone feels more judged and more um, you know, weighed up in terms of themselves as a person and how they parent by other parents. So that makes you feel very guarded and cagey against other um, you know, people at the same stage as you are. Um, but if you allow yourself to be vulnerable and reach out to other parents and say, you know what, I'm actually really struggling with this, <laughs> suddenly you will break barriers and they will open up to you too. Uh, in the workplace, people feel competitive, that they feel um, removed because they don't want to be seen as incompetent or as you said, Duncan, don't want to be seen as burdensome. But if it's, it's, um, you know, as would suggest, if you actually open up and say, hey, I'm, you know, actually struggling with this, can you help me? Um, you might you might often find the other person will feel, as you said, Duncan, a great honour in actually being able to be of help. Um, so that's where I see the, this power of vulnerability um, being an incredibly great tool to counteract um, the, the, the problem of loneliness that we're having.
1: Yeah, so again... I think it's not loneliness because like you, you can be around people but not have good interactions. I think vulnerability is a good way to have more meaningful interactions. Mm. So the opposite of loneliness is not poor company. It's good company. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And so, or, or just happiness, you know. And maybe look other way. Like, and how do you be good company when you're by yourself? Uh, and so one of the ways that I've sort of thought about this, and I, I think I mentioned this in the past, I'm sorry for repeating people, but like you're in a relationship with yourself. You know, if you're in a relationship with other people, you might go on dates with them. And once I did that, I used to sort of be like, well, I've got all this time by myself. And then I'd be like, oh, maybe I should be hanging out with someone else. It's like Saturday night. I've got nothing to do. Um, And, you know, I'm getting lonely or whatever. Mm. But then I was like, hang on. There's this book I've really been wanting to read. And I would read the book, but I would hijack my ability to enjoy it because I was like, oh, I'm lonely. I don't have something organized. And when I realized I was in a relationship with myself, I was like, hey, it's date night for me. And then I was able to let go of any, like, lonely feelings of, like, you know, you're not going out with some people type thing. And so I think that you can also be happy when you're by yourself. And one way that I did that was knowing or realizing I was in a relationship with myself.
0: Mm. Are you a good date with yourself, Duncan? Do you pick up the check?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm cheap date. There's only one one person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No callback. Oh, no. Yeah, no, yeah, you don't
1: have to worry about how long it takes myself to text back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, I think you, you definitely make a, an important point that if I haven't called it out yet, I just wanted to clarify that um, they've, um, there's a book called The Village Effect and in it, it talks about that it's not the quantity but the quality of relationships that actually matter. Um, you know, you know, we like to, um, you know, think that we have lots of friends or, you know, people, I guess, brag about the number of friends they have on Facebook or anything like that. But if you have, you know, a good group of people that you have good, meaningful interactions with, um, I think, you know, that's going to be the, the most, uh, I guess, impactful way of addressing, you know, any sense loneliness or unhappiness or having, you know, good company. And yourself being one of them because everyone has a relationship with themselves
1: um, that- yeah I'll just add one thing I don't know who came up with this number but somebody I read multiple times or some people say that you can't have close relationships with more than ten people so there's sort of a minimum like you know if you catch up with a person once a year for one hour it's very hard for that one hour to be really high quality mm. But also, you could go and spend every night with someone and have them all hours be poor quality. So there's kind of like a minimum sufficient amount of time you need to spend to where you can kind of know enough about a person to then be able to have counseling chats, to then be able to do whatever else it is. And I don't know who came up with this 10 number, but I've sort of found that, you know, over time, I've not invested as much time in meeting new people, but invested much more time in the existing people who I already know, who I really treasure and I'm like, I've got very limited time. I wanna, you know, actually spend more with you and not like spend time with some random who I don't know. Mm-hmm.
0: Very profound. Duncan, I think we've just nailed it this time because we're <laughs> at the fifty five minute mark. So I think we've got just enough from a time t- perspective. <laughs> yeah, you're like this, this
1: has been great conversation, just FYI. <laughs>
0: Pat on the back. Well done. Well done. Well done, James. Talking to myself in yeah. third person. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, I think it's time for a summary uh,
1: You want me to begin or you want to go?
0: I went first last time So I will insist uh, the floor to be yours
1: Okay um, If you're not happy Life is not as good as if you are happy mm. Wow mm. Mm. Yes. One way to be happy is to have good quality relationships These are with others and with yourself It's not just spending time with others It's being able to spend that time well And there are many ways for this Um, but I kind of realized that different friends have different, you know, purposes almost, you know, you don't have to have each friend be exactly the same. Um, so, you you know, you can catch up with them once a month and it's great. Um, and that you also can do things which I used to think were taboo or not to be done, such as helping people improve, such as having counseling chats and being vulnerable and talking about your problems. Um, and that's actually a really good way to have good quality relationships.
0: Um, so, yeah, there we go. Summary. Oh, really good one, Duncan, actually. Um, <laughs> so it, it, so some, all my other summaries <laughs> are crap. No, <laughs> um, so um, the studies are showing that we're getting lonelier. Uh, and this is not just some um, you know, touchy-feely problem that we're having. It's actually impacting our health, our, our liveliness, and our longevity. So it's a real issue that we're facing. Uh, it's been defined as perceived social isolation, but Duncan, I really like the point that you make about this—not just being social isolation, but just being in good company, and that includes yourself. Uh, this can be something that is um, that you know doesn't seem to have any one uh, you know leading or causing factor, but we can't um, ignore the fact that we have um, you know gone through several revolutions in the last two hundred years, as opposed to what has been the norm for Homo sapiens over the last 200,000 years. Um, It's no longer become, it's no longer a survival um, instinct. It's now part of the next level of Maslow's hierarchy, which is the the psychological. Um, So if we understand and observe and become aware of that, then we can start to, uh, I guess, make ways that we can address them. So for me, um, being able to address loneliness is allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Opening yourself up to those around you, whether it's at home, um, as a parent, whether it's with your family, whether it's in work, whether it's with friends that you um, may or may not have um, close enough relationship with. Uh, I think, um, as you said, Duncan, loneliness is just a, um, a facet of happiness. It's not, um, you know, this binary uh, cause and effect. But it's also a very big important one. Our brains are wired for social cohesion. So I think it's also something that we need to um, make sure that we're always mindful of. There.
1: Woohoo! All right. The next thing we're going to be talking about is social emotional learning. Um, And this is a framework that people have um, for helping people
0: learn. well, let's talk about that in but, a couple of weeks. Well, yeah, for clar- right. yeah, to clarify, that's next episode. It's not like we're about to start talking All about yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I've had enough of you, James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's enough for one week. All right righties. Ciao. See you later.